This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. Ever since Aaron and I began this podcast, we'd get notes here and there from some of you saying that you particularly identified with one or the other of us. And since we learned about tri-type, we finally started to figure out why that is. So this one's all about Thomas, and Thomas and I are about as similar personality-wise as you can be. We're both tri-type 847 in the same order. In terms of instinct, we both have sexual first. If none of that made sense to you, that's okay. By season two, we're kind of just assuming we're in the deep end at this point. So if you want to catch up, go ahead and scroll back to old episodes or just send us a note. We'd be happy to explain. The nickname that's been given to our tri-type is actually the messenger. And so there's something about us that feels deeply compelled to bring meaning and truth and purpose to people. And that couldn't be more clear than in this episode. Anyway, I get this guy. In some ways, you would say he fits the eight stereotype. I mean, he kind of lives his life on the back of a motorcycle, (laughs) loves to weightlift. You know the deal. But as we all are, he is so much more than that. So many other layers. So here he is, Thomas. Let's do this. (laughs) Nice to talk to you. Oh, for sure. By the way, exactly. words are hard, so I will trip over them probably often. As in, in general, words are hard for you, or today? <laughs> um, no, in general. It's it's a pretty uh, often occurrence thing where I uh, sort of stutter over myself. I don't know if it's my brain's running faster than my mouth or what, but by mm-hmm. the time I get to the words that I'm trying to say, half the time they disappear, and I'm just like, eh, great. I, I always tell people that uh, I've got a good memory and everything. It's just my processor's slow. <laughs> That's fair. (laughs) That is fair. What is it about four and seven that you just knew? Okay, these are definitely the two that I that I relate to. Or was it that when you read the tri-type and it was described as a whole, that's why you knew? Mm, I guess I'll explain it this way. I think I grew up more in my nine wing, like really reserved just because of the dynamic and stuff. And I mean, we probably get into childhood stuff just because I've spent a lot of time thinking about how Mm -hmm. my child who I am but yeah go for it okay so I grew up with a nine father a nine brother and a two mom but my mom she uh had a very turbulent childhood and the more I think about it now the more I realize that that turbulent childhood especially from a unhealthy eight grandfather probably informed me really young because I know the dynamic my mom and my dad had when I was younger and it probably pushed me in a way of like oh this is turbulent I gotta figure things out myself sort of thing. Mm. And then when I was a teenager, my mom lived so much into eight (laughs) where we just butt heads because I wasn't and I was already standing there and she moved into eight. It's almost like for a two moving into eight, it's like a dog backed into a corner. But for an eight being sort of challenged, it's like somebody stepping off a throne and that gets very turbulent very fast. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, that makes sense to me. Um, And so it was always this like dichotomy of me and her butt heads so bad. And then I homeschooled high schools. I didn't have really hardly any friends. And the friends that I did have, I didn't feel like I super related to, which was always my biggest longing, I think, is being understood. 
that would be the four and eight combined, right? Yeah. Yeah. The four always feels lonely and always feels oh. misunderstood. <laughs> I still feel all my emotions. I have high highs and low lows. Yes. Um, yes. Which I think is partly the four, but I also think it's partly the, uh, the maturity thing, but that probably that a lot of that came after my divorce. But so the turbulence between that and being depressed and stuff, I lived really reserved, but also very in my emotions. Mm-hmm. But also because I was like, I guess in so much stress, I lived into the five a lot. So I like observed and thought and thought and thought and thought. And so looking back now, I realize that's a big skill especially for an eight. Cause I watch some other eights that are super unhealthy and I'm like, wow, you are so reactive. Thank God I'm not. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of that came from that. So to some degree I thought like, eh, five kind of makes sense, but maybe that's just because I only live when I thought about it. Really. I only live there when I'm really stressed. And right. thankfully these days I don't really live in five very much. Mm-hmm. I'm still pretty perceptive and thoughtful, but it's not like a overthinking kind of thing like it used to be. But um, the fact that I feel my emotions so much made sense as far as a four goes. And then I also had a four friend who I was like, you're totally just like me. There's no way you're you're not an eight. (laughs) And she's like 100% a four. And the more I like related to her on things, I was like, "Ah, maybe. And then seven makes sense for me, especially because I think I moved into it as a strong wing. But like I am, I am the epitome of I want to do all the things. Uh, (laughs) So, and that's why I live in a van. That's why I've spent the last year pretty much traveling and and like living out of Wyoming, but traveling a lot and doing all the things that I can that are fun. So, yeah, I attribute seven to some of that spont- spontaneity being like, I don't want to be hemmed in with a long-term schedule at all. Mm, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, at I, all. But I do love having things all over the calendar uh, that are all totally different. Well, that's what's funny. I don't even have hardly a calendar most of the <laughs> right. time. I'm just like, well, you don't have six children, though. (laughs) That's true. That's fair. (laughs) I don't have a choice, Thomas. (laughs) That is fair. I would say that ones and sixes are the hardest for me to relate to. Thank you. Must be a perfect thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Explain it. Ones. So I specifically, it like just depending on where they live on their spectrum of health to unhealth, but I worked with. A one. I respect the man so much, but the second job I worked with him at was more blue collar rather than restaurant. And he knows his way around restaurants. He knows his way around numbers. But when it came to building things, he would come down and try to build stuff the right way. And I mm-hmm. am the just get it done. Like as long as it's right when it's done, the process oh, to get there yes. is better. And he is yeah. so like, no, you got to do it this way. It'd be the difference between like putting a screw in or nail gunning it together. Nail gunning it is quick and efficient. Screwing yeah. it means that you can take it back apart later. And I'm just like, nah, I don't need to take it back apart. That's why I have a hard time with ones is because they're so stubborn in their way. And I'm like, yeah. nah, let's just get it done. <laughs> and then like we know is- for a fact there's other ways of doing things and, and the rules oh. are stupid a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, yeah. If I need to get back into this uh, shipping container, it would be convenient <laughs> if the, if it screws rather than nails. But it's fine either way, to be That's honest. That's right. Totally. Sixes, I would say it has a lot to do with... I've had uh, friends in the past that I wouldn't really consider friends anymore. But because I'm so willing to challenge their thoughts on things, especially when I'm like, no, you're dead wrong. They would get super offended by it. And not only that, like 
the sort of living in the worst case scenario and in my mind it's like uh you're not really living you're you're uh you're just moving but not really forward i guess right. and uh it would frustrate me so much but i think i would butt heads with sixes so much just because especially when i'm like actually friends with somebody mm-hmm. i'm going to challenge the things that they think if it seems wrong right and i had two friends in particular and one friend group that i i'm i know one was six i'm pretty confident the other one was also they kind of fed on each other a little too much and when i would challenge the way they were thinking they'd well you're gonna challenge everything i'm like all right and then eventually those friendships blew up for other reasons but i was just like you know what i'm very much the jump first ask questions later kind of guy so what i'd say my struggle with them is they ask so many questions that were at a standstill so Mm. i want to just go with my gut and I overstate things because it's mm-hmm. getting across my passion and how I feel about it rather than the mm-hmm. precise, exact truth about it. And they feel more secure if you're very precise and you back everything you say up with something they can <laughs> hang on to. And yeah. so for every email I send to my six friends, I have to go over it with a fine tooth comb and go, what questions are they going to ask <laughs> about the thing that I wrote that I wish they would just accept? And Mm -hmm. they would just run through the filter of, I know who Joe is, whatever, but they can't, they can't leave it. They have to go. What did you mean by that? You're slowing me down. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any eight stories that kind of epitomize your eightness? Yeah. One in particular that I can think of off the top of my head. (laughs) Clearly, if the person you work for, you don't feel like you respect very well as an eight, you're going to want to buck against it. Well, Mm -hmm. The last job before I left Indiana was I was in a metal fabrication shop. Now, the guy I worked for, he hired me. I worked with him at a restaurant. He was always a white-collar-minded, restaurant-minded kind of person. I grew up doing blue-collar jobs and then moved into restaurants and then a few other jobs and eventually landed there because the pay was just really good. So I learned Mm -hmm. how to do the bad stuff. I was there for like two, two and a half years, I think, and... He sort of never learned anything about the actual processes on the floor. He just like Mm. sort of understood the relational aspects between company to company and all that stuff. And he would come in hot and heavy um, fairly often. I'm pretty positive he's a six, which again, (laughs) we rubbed the wrong way a little bit, but we were fine as friends, but he would come in hot about something that he was mad about. And because we all knew that he didn't understand the processes, he would say things that proved that he didn't know anything about the processes and sort of point fingers and stuff. And in most meetings, I would challenge those thoughts. There were a couple meetings in particular where I like actually went off on him. And I knew two things. I knew (laughs) A, we were too short staffed for him to fire me. And B, because I was good enough at my job and I filled a role that like they couldn't just fill. <laughs> so I knew I was, I was fine, but I would just challenge him. <laughs> Sometimes I would like get a little aggressive, but there was one meeting in particular. There was one guy that was just, he thought he was the best of the best, but he clearly wasn't. And he was just a young kid that had come into the industry thinking he knew everything. I was convinced he should have been fired a long time ago. The owner comes in locked and loaded, just going off on everybody. And I'm spitting it right back at him. I'm like, I'm not having it. And I was just over it. So I straight up went off on him full on, then stood up, got pissed off and said, fuck it, I'm done. And I walked out of that room and I walked out of that room and I thought, well, I could quit right now and uh, it probably wouldn't be the best option. So I'll go back to work and I'll deal with this when it comes up. 
funny enough, it never came up. (laughs) (laughs) I suspect that almost all of us have stories about having a very overt and verbal conflict with our bosses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're not afraid of it. At some point, it's just, it's not even, there's no other option. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a big reason why a lot of us end up working for ourselves. Exactly. I have similar stories where, and it had a lot to do with me seeing the more efficient way of doing it or the most natural instinctual way of handling something and so I would just slip into it but it didn't follow protocol management's job is to follow (laughs) protocol which is why I would never be in management unless I was the manager of my own business but when management finally really took a good look at what I was doing it wasn't okay and I was like I just can't get behind this (laughs) yeah 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 that's funny so I work for like I mostly work for a company called Go Fast Don't Die, and we have a shirt that says "Safety Second. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> mostly, mostly it's about the live life first, then think about safety. But I always think about it as like, eh. it's funny that Metal Fab shop I worked at. I the amount of things that I'm like OSHA. We're not near the ocean. We're landlocked. <laughs> okay, well, what would you say is you know when you're thinking over just what it is like to be you you're like oh that sucks that sucks that i keep having to deal with that part of me i don't know and this is probably the four to me but the amount that i romanticize a relationship i think earning for a companion is pretty strong for me and that's the one thing that like usually trips me up the most like i'm not like that guy that goes out to bars and tries to pick up chicks i'm not that guy that like flirts with everybody but anytime that it's like oh there's a possibility here i get way too worked up too fast that's probably the one thing that like bites me in the ass the most i actually you know what i will say before sometimes still but it's much more rare now my anger is usually expressed towards myself more than anybody else now i'll have that flash in a pan anger on like road rage kind of thing where like somebody will do something stupid and i'll get a little bit of anger but i've gotten to a point where i'm like life's gonna be what it is and being a man of faith, I'm like, God's taken care of me so many times. I've jumped out of the metaphorical boat trying to walk on water that I'm going to oh, find. Yeah. But mm-hmm. before, I'd say over the last year and a half or so, I've spent a lot of time on like working on the flash in a pan anger toward myself because I would mm. get so angry at myself if I did something wrong. Like anytime anything went wrong, I'd just get so mad so fast. Um, but thankfully, I don't. I don't deal with that as much. Part of that is I've set my life up to where I really don't have much stress other than financially, but financially doesn't bother me as so much like it does most people. Also, I'm enjoying my life enough that I don't really care about the stressors anymore. I would say that there's something, I feel like I'm trigger sensitive to pressure. It's mm-hmm. like there's an arrow moving up and I, <laughs> I intuitively cut it out. I do like there's kinds of things other people think are pressure inducing and stress inducing that don't affect me at all. But I'm, I'm trigger sensitive to my own oh, yeah. um, idea of pressure. And it's so toxic inside me. So toxic oh. because we are so full bodied, right? With our, mm-hmm. our um, feeling of that, that I, can't, I just can't endure it. So I would never, um, that plays into when I was asked to step into a, a role of director for something. There was this thing in my head that said, I know that a version of me would be absolutely the person for this job. Like I've got, you know, but I, I don't want it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've had people tell me before, they're like, you become an asset wherever you are. He's like, the problem with you though, is that most of the time you're looking past it. And it's because I'm not fully invested in the thing. And, and it's played out in my life. Like just about every job I've had. I never stay in one spot for very long. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I had a thought about your your relational longing kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think I remember you're also the sexual instinct first, right? Sexual instinct first, social second. Self-preservation is 100% my blind spot. So That's right. Uh, so you and I also have that in common, which explains like it almost explains the longing and the issues you have more than even your types. That actually makes sense to me. And relationally, that longing, that sexual like passion, and we know when someone fits intuitively. We feel it in oh. our body. That person fits. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, and yeah. so if and- we can't find it again, if you've tasted it, lost mm-hmm. it, can't find it again, you just are like, I'm going to be a lonely wanderer for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's definitely that. Like, 100%. Like the, just like the depth of longing. It is definitely full body. Oh, yeah. So that's where the eight fits it. But then you add four and seven, and they're both idealists. Mm-hmm. So add sexual to the idealism of a seven and a four, and you're in such a fix. Like, it basically oh, yeah. means we're destined to either be those, like, mate-for-life type creatures, or we're alone mm-hmm. for life. I am such a massively passionate person. And because I have so many things that I love, I'm like, holy crap, a person that's going to run with me has to at least love a handful of these things. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, I want so badly to experience those things with another person. Like, and I live such an unconventional life too that it makes it super hard. Like I said, I, I live in a van now. Like, after I went through a divorce two and a half years ago, I think now, I recognized that. I was trying way too hard. I took myself way too seriously and the goals I had way too seriously. And I realized, I was like, I'm not living life. Also, I had to work through like the, I don't really love myself. I'm not really sure I believe God loves me, all those things. But Mm -hmm. mostly I was like, I'm not living life. So I like let go of all of those ambitions and was just like, you know what? I'm going to go live. So (laughs) thankfully I met these guys at Go Fast, Don't Die uh, in Tennessee last year. And I was like, I want to go live that life. The fact that I like now live in a van and Mm -hmm. travel and I'm willing to settle down if it makes sense, but like, I still want to be able to travel. I love heavy music. A lot of people aren't a big fan of that, but I'm so passionate about it. Like been on stage with some of my favorite bands. That was my first passion. (laughs) Sidetrack. As a teenager, that was the one thing I was going to do. And it's funny. I literally said, I'm going to go after the band thing. I'm going to be a touring musician or I'm going to end up in a van down by the river. (laughs) Funny enough, you know, later down the line, things change. And then I'm like, ah, no, living in a van makes sense. (laughs) That's actually a dream of mine. That I have a total dream of being having a house that you can actually take with you. Oh, it's it's a good time for sure. But because of all of these things that I feel like are so intense about me, like I love lifting weights. And like one of my dreams is like having a person that will lift with me. Like, And then obviously the faith aspect and the way the world is today, I feel like, you know, I'm so intense about my faith that like the typical everyday Christian is going to be overwhelmed by the things that I've experienced. Like I was in ministry from 15 to 25. I've lived in those deep waters as far as faith goes. So like I have a hard time with churches because I feel like I'm standing in the shallow end and I'm like, I'm not doing this. And all those dichotomies lead to such an intensity that I'm always just like, man, is anybody going to be able to walk beside this? Right. (laughs) Even if they're not going to match my intensity, like I said, I think it's more of a who's going to be able to walk next to that intensity and actually be interested in the things. Because I think in my past, especially with my ex, it was very much I'm really passionate about these things, but you really don't care about them kind of a thing. Anyways, when she decided to leave for somebody else, it was like, okay, 
after I got the falling apart out of the way and I got the healing out of the way, it was like, okay, I have to have somebody that like actually enjoys things that I enjoy, whether they're as passionate or not is less of an issue, I think. But like the fact that I feel like I've met one person where I was like, Ooh, you are actually interested in most of the things I'm interested in out of like, however many people I've met in my life. I feel like, no, I've spoken about it before that it's so rare. It hurts actually to think about. Mm -hmm. right it can be despairing sometimes it's super despairing like i said i had to go through the whole like when i was going through the whole like do i love myself does god love me i think the thing that actually made me realize that was there's a poet called his name's levi the poet he's sort of faith minded but one of his lyrics he says um he's talking about god and he says i have not forgotten your voice and the only thing that it speaks is love and i recognize that because that word never comes to me from me and i was listening to that his stuff a lot after my divorce and i realized i was like holy crap i don't love myself and mm. even though I, god cares about me because he's taking care of me the millions of times i've sold everything and jumped out of the metaphorical boat i don't know that i believe that he loves me and so i had to work through that and even still sometimes i'm just like god am i gonna go through this life like kind of alone for the rest of it or is the world gonna end before i get made again like <laughs> yeah so trust me <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> And I bet you, if you listen hard enough, he's saying, you're not alone, Thomas. Oh, I know. You're not alone. That's the yeah. tricky thing is the yearning goes from top of your head to the tips of your mm -hmm. feet. I know. This year or the past two years with all the things, has there been movement? Like what's been happening inside you? It's <laughs> part of me is like, what's happening in the world's happening in the world. It's not going to affect me that much. I just refuse to let it. And so like right after everything got super turbulent in the world, the guys from GoFast were like, hey, like I found out they were going to be going out east. I lived in Indianapolis and I found out they were going to be in Tennessee. I went and I hung out with those guys for a, a long weekend. And I was like, this is the life I want to live. Traveling the world on motorcycles and living on the road more so than not, like having that whatever. So I literally... I spent the rest of that year, that would have been 2020, I just built the van. I spent all my time at work, obviously doing work for eight or nine hours or whatever, and then walking across the shop and building my van. Most of what was happening didn't affect me. And then it was like, in April, I came out here to Wyoming where nobody cares about what's happening in the world, really. They're just living their lives and joined this group of dudes and women that are, you know, the brand is all about lifestyle. Like, Safety second isn't like a just a laugh at like safety. It's literally like the idea is live your life, then think about safety. Right. Chase your fears or clock stick and start living. Like those are like the ethos of the brand. And I was like, that's me. Like that's what I want to live in. And so all of that, like just living, I think was super good for my mental. And then over the last, I don't know, like three or four months, I feel like the call in the spirit has been more prevalent. And so I've been like trying to work out how that makes sense where I'm at now. Pretty much the entire last couple of years have been just living life, relearning what that means instead of like pursuing some version of success that could be cool. But to be honest, I definitely prefer living and then just doing the things I love without the grandiose whatever of owning businesses or whatever it would be. I think it's been a little bit purifying just me letting go of a lot of things. I was going to ask you what your um, feeling a call to more actually looks like for you. I'll have moments where I'm like, wow, this is deja vu. I've, I've literally dreamed this moment. There you go. 
So I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be for that reason. That's one reason why I'm a little less stressed on like the, oh, am I really doing the right thing? Because I, I know that I'm at least where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I think one of the things that I do feel a little called to, I don't know how it'll work or where I'll do it or whatever. I'm going to do some sort of house of prayer type thing because I was on staff at one in Indianapolis. And to be honest, when it comes to church culture, that makes more sense than actual churches to me. Pretty much just a place where anybody of any denomination can come and pray. I guess the smaller ones typically are just like a couple hours a week. Somebody will be leading worship or like just doing worship. And then there's a, a place to come and pray if people want. But the actual international house of prayer, they're 24 seven. And there's always people praying and worshiping. And it comes out of some of the scriptures about like ceaseless prayer and, um, and well, and keeping the, the lamp, the lamp oil always, yep. always full. So it's always burning. Yep. And that fire on the altar at all times and all that stuff. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I know that 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 I know the preaching is important. However, the singular most important part to lives being changed is God being lifted up. What do you think you were always made for? Worship and like a prophet call. Not yeah, really it was like, like always there, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, those are the two things for sure. I don't know that it's like being a prophet, but definitely having the like prophetic push to like speak the real things and challenge the things that aren't, I guess, to some degree. But you're ready to suffer for it? Um, I used to be. I'm trying to get back to that point. <laughs> when it happens, I know I'll step up, but like I'm not there mentally to be like, all right, we'll send into that. I know some of it is selfish and probably most of it is selfish, but like the, hey, I'm finally living life. I'm enjoying life. <laughs> and I want to keep doing that a little bit longer. Like, so I'm trying to learn how that makes sense and the other thing makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, and because I'm such a all in, all out, black or white kind of person, the lesson the last handful of years has been like the learning how to live in between the two things instead of just all in one way or the other. Like yeah. instead of the pendulum swinging so hard from like ministry or not ministry or depressed to super happy or whatever it is, learning how to like stop the pendulum from going so far one way or the other. And really, I think part of it is just because I don't understand how it works. I've stopped. I've kept from taking the step to just do something that and I've kept myself busy enough that I haven't really like actually started once I do it, oh, it's it's game on. Until then, it's like, eh, I'll get to it. I know. I just need to start doing the thing and then figure it out as I go, as I usually do, and stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you were to tell all the eights anything about being an eight, what would it be? I don't know how to do this without going through something completely life-shattering. I know. But do whatever you possibly can to get to a point where you're able to figure out what is actually important to hold on to and what isn't. I guess um, also learning vulnerability as hard as it is. I think a good place to start for vulnerability where I started as a teenager when I was vulnerable was I realized that vulnerability meant that as long as everybody knew things about me that weren't good, then they could never hold those things over me. Oh, yes, so that's I, familiar. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah. So if I admit it, then uh, you can't hold it over me because you don't have the power to do that at, at that point. So it started there. And eventually, especially after I went through the divorce, it came to a point where it was like, I'm willing to be super vulnerable. I'm comfortable enough with myself to be super vulnerable. And that changed my entire life and perspective. I'm no longer the guy that gets ridiculously angry over the small things. 
I only get angry over the things that are actually important to me most of the time, unless I'm like really stressed. Occasionally it still happens. Obviously I'm who I am. It's not going to go away fully, but like the extent to which it used to happen doesn't happen anymore. And so that plus learning how to sit with your emotions is super important because it helps you heal as much as we don't want to sit in our emotions to some degree. Obviously I do to some degree because I've got four in me and uh, <laughs> yep. I, I almost sometimes feel comfortable in the sad boy part of my, uh, my mentality, but learning how to actually experience your emotions. I learned it through the divorce. Like what happened in that divorce was she was like, I'm leaving. And I, I had an affair on you. I'm leaving. I said for better or worse, this is worse as it gets. So I'm going to wait it out. And if you want to re reconcile this, then great. If not, then you're going to be the one to pull the trigger. And I had to wait six months for that. So I had to live in my emotions that entire time. And it was the hardest thing I have ever done and probably ever will do. But mm -hmm. I chose on purpose to experience the emotions because I knew that, A, if we were to reconcile, then I had to be healed enough to handle her brokenness. Yes. And if it didn't work, then I ha I refused to let what happened in that relationship affect my future relationships in a massively negative way. And so experiencing all the emotions that I had to experience was so helpful. It also allowed me to come out the other side mostly healed. Obviously, there were things that I had to work through for a couple of years, for sure. I still, to some degree, have to work through some things. But it had I into the anger instead of the sorrow and the pain, then I don't think I would actually be enjoying my life living, I guess, living more carefree. I wouldn't be loving my life as much. I'd still be super internally conflicted. Um, and even if I was here doing the thing that I'm doing, I'd still be so in my emotions that I wouldn't be fully present. And that's another thing. I used to be so future oriented. All that healing helped me to live in the moment. And because I'm living in the moment, I'm actually enjoying my life more. As hard as it is, man, it's so damn worth it. And it is possible to break the, break out of the typical eight thing and actually be a healthy human. <laughs> yeah, if we're willing to really sit in that instead mm -hmm. of shut the thing down. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Thomas. I knew it would be like full of depth and intensity. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys wanting to talk. Like I love sharing this stuff, especially the parts about like getting through all the things. Cause I think the other thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do in life is help people. Obviously that's the eight moving into two to some degree, but I do feel super strongly like, man, my story, I know that my story can help people. And I just like, I'm super grateful when I get to share it and when people actually pay attention. So I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to share it a little bit too, for sure. It's super awesome to have people that it's like, man, relatable. <laughs> that is exactly why we did this thing. <laughs> That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>